0: Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation about following King Jesus. Well, Scott, we've got a special guest back with us here on the podcast. You know, of course, you've written a number of books, but we have Becky Castle Miller here with us, who pulled a lot of that together to put it together into a kind of discipleship guide. I know she's got a lot to say about that, but um, could you just talk a little bit about what's this project and how this came to be?
1: Well, um, my editor at Zondervan, John Raymond, wrote me or Talk to me. We are in communication often and have been for three decades. John uh, thought it was a really good idea if we we did a Bible study guide that combined all four of the books that I have written with Zondervan, the King Jesus Gospel, the Blue Parakeet, One Life, and a Fellowship of Difference. And his idea was to put them together with these words, know the biblical meaning of the gospel, read the Bible, live as disciples, and show the world God's character through life together in the church. So know, read, live, and show. When John asked uh, about this, he he simply said that they usually get people who write these, and I said, I think I have someone who could write this and who's very good at this. So I recommended Uh, Becky uh, to John. And I think this is the correct story. Then John and Becky began to engage in a conversation correspondence that led to uh, Becky having a contract and writing um, this uh, study guide or this uh, Bible study workbook. Becky, you can chime in to see if that's right.
0: Yeah, I want to know your side, Becky. Is that how it how it worked? And welcome back to the podcast, by the way.
2: Thank you, Chaz. I am excited to be talking to you guys. Um, yes, that's that's the story. Um, I am in my third year of studying with Scott at Northern Seminary in the MANT uh, live program. And Chaz, you and I are in the first cohort, so we're kind of the guinea pigs that's for right. Northern doing this live Kicking program. Uh, so I am studying with Northern in Chicago from the Netherlands. I've been here for seven years working at an international church. So um, when Scott messaged me about this project with Zondervan, it was midnight my time a year ago, and it it had just become my birthday. And I got a text from Scott that said, hey, are you interested in doing a discipleship book? With Zondervan, with some of my material, and I I think he had barely sent the text before I was typing back, "Yes!" exclamation marks, (laughs) because I'm the discipleship director at my church, and I love uh, I love Bible study curriculum and making the Bible practical for people in the church. So I was just thrilled to hear about this project. Um, And I had actually floated the idea to Scott a couple years ago. Hey, Scott, have you ever thought about doing a discipleship curriculum? So I was really thrilled that Zondervan also had that idea and wanted to. To work on this, so yeah, I talked with John Raymond uh, on summer vacation last year. I was at Nordvik on Ze, which is up further north in the Netherlands on the ocean, and I shooed my whole family out of the hotel room so I could have this Zoom call with John because um, this is my first published book, and I couldn't believe that I was going to be talking with the vice president of curriculum development for Zondervan. That was so exciting. Um, so we talked about it. John liked my ideas. I loved his heart for the church. And for discipleship, we were very much on the same page about what discipleship is and how to use Scott's material to turn it into a discipleship curriculum. Um, so that was when the project launched. And almost a year later, in April of this year, uh, the book was released.
1: Well, it was yeah, April 16th, right? Yeah. When yeah, was it? April 16th?
0: April 16th. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually my birthday. So this book's awesome. got a lot involved with
1: birthdays. Happy birthday, Chad. <laughs> well... When Becky uh, first um, became involved at coming to Northern to do the Northern Live program, one of the first things I remember about you, Becky, was doing a Facebook Live, I think. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what that was, about uh, discipleship. Mm-hmm. Is that right?
2: Yes. When I, the summer before I started at Northern, uh, just a few weeks before I flew to the States, I was in the middle of working on a discipleship project for my church. And so I had taken some material from, I think it was from navigators, and I was implementing that in our church. And um, there was a book called Personal Disciple Making by Christopher Adzit. And I was talking through each one of those chapters and each one of those concepts in disciple making. And so I made a whole series of Facebook Live Talks that summer to work out this material. Um, and I think you saw those probably right when I was getting started at Northern. Yeah. Well, okay,
1: let's get to this book. Becky, um, what do you think are some of the distinctives of the book? And then I want to ask you about how you, um, let's say, what you think is the um, what? What do you think are the traits or characteristics of good study guides for people who are working in discipleship in churches?
2: Hmm. Those are great questions. The distinctives of this book. I'll address that one first is that it's theologically robust. I don't see a lot of people with doctorates in New Testament writing discipleship curriculum. So this book has sort of the best of Scott McKnight on following Jesus. Um, So each of the 24 lessons in this workbook have a 500 to 800 word excerpt from one of Scott's books. And I uh, actually, thanks to Scott, I use a C-Pen scanner. Scott turned me on to this tool and it is life changing for theology students and pastors. So it's a little scanning pen and you just run it along the page and it converts it to text in your laptop. And so I spent hours last summer at my library going through Scott's four books. um, King Jesus Gospel, Blue Parakeet, One Life, Fellowship of Difference, choosing the excerpts that we would use. For each of these lessons and scanning them in with my c pen so there's this very robust very theologically serious but yet easy to read excerpt carefully chosen from one of scott's books so that's one distinctive and then i took those readings and i developed each one into a week's worth of personal study and then small group study and i've been the small group coordinator at my church for seven years and i've tried all kinds of curriculum So I've looked at what I feel works and doesn't work. So I tried to take the best of what I've learned from small groups and put that into this group discussion guide. And then these Bible studies as well. So there's an actual Bible study. And some of it is just a few verses. And I tried to pull them from things that went along with your work, Scott. So, for example, when you're talking about Paul's gospel from 1 Corinthians 15, there's a study from 1 Corinthians 15 for the Bible study. Um, And in some of them, though, it gets more than a few verses. There are two lessons where in one you read the first half of Mark, and then in the second one you read the second half of Mark. And so that is actually pulling from what Scott taught us in the Jesus and the Gospels course, where we would sit down and read an entire gospel in an hour. So there are a lot of little things throughout the book that I've pulled from being in Scott's classroom for three years. So What I hope when we hand this book to people is that it's really their chance to sort of take a master class with Scott McKnight on discipleship. Because, for example, I have you open every lesson by reciting the Jesus Creed, which is something that Scott opens his seminary classes with. And we close with the Lord's Prayer in the book, just like we do in Scott's classes. So there's a lot of being in class with Scott in this book. So I hope that it gives people a little bit of a taste of a seminary class as well. So there's Bible study, there's prayer, and there's action. At my church, we try to focus a lot, and I know a lot of churches do this, on not just going to church on Sunday, but living out our relationship with Jesus by serving others. So there's action points with each of these two. So that's a distinctive because not all discipleship curricula has action points. A lot of it is just study and thinking. So there's action in these as well. Um, So those are some of the distinctives.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Becky, Very I think that, I think that's so great. And uh having been somebody who's had somewhat similar roles in leading people through um material and, and discussions, that action piece is so important. I would love to hear more your vision on how a small group that maybe say we meets weekly would be able to utilize this resource. You mentioned it briefly, but there's 24 lessons here. Mm-hmm. Is it each lesson is one week and then you come together and discuss? Or is it broken up in multiple lessons in a week and then Mm -hmm. you come back together? What does that rhythm look like?
2: That's a great question. So each lesson has the personal study section and the group study question. So I would suggest that a small group does one lesson per week. So you could start in the fall and finish in the spring with plenty of time for missing weeks over holidays or people being gone on vacation, and you could still get it done in one academic school year. I know a lot of churches run their small groups on a like a September to May schedule, and this would work really well for that. So at home, you would read the excerpt from Scott's book. You would do your reflection questions on the reading, your personal Bible study, and you could do that in one day or break it up over several days, depending on how you like to do your Bible study homework. And you would take time to pray on your own, to do an action on your own, and then to do some journaling and reflection on your own. Then you would come together with your small group. And then there's discussion questions. So you discuss the reading, you discuss the Bible study, so that you can hear from what other people in your group gathered. I love my Bible study group. I've been in a ladies Bible study group for several years. And we have people, I would say with 15 ladies in the group, there's probably 10 or 11 different nations represented So I love when we come in and we bring all our different perspectives and what people have gathered from the Bible study. And I hope people will get a similar experience here. So they're sharing what they've learned uh, in their own study. And then they would do an action together as a group. uh, And then each week has a different style of prayer because I wanted people to try different ways of praying for each other. So it's not just, okay, take prayer requests and go around the circle and pray for each other. But it's, it's very different interactive ways Uh, like standing and, and praying, kneeling and praying as well as writing cards or praying for each other in different ways. And so some more interactive ways of praying. And then there's a rest section where I give a different angle on rest so that after they've done the group meeting, they would take time to have the spiritual self-discipline of rest. Because I think that's Something that Western culture really misses out on—we don't rest enough as a spiritual discipline. So each lesson has that as well. So I think you could do it over a school year, and I would do one lesson per week with a small group.
1: I think one of the um, when I when I looked over the material, you know, I didn't write any of the the workbook. Becky did it all. Um, uh, the only thing I wrote is the stuff that she used her C pen for. Um, I think what I, what I noticed, Becky, is that this is the result of a lot of practice in doing group and personal Bible study mm-hmm. times. Um, so in other words, this workbook is the result of someone who's been doing this for a long enough period that this isn't a professor saying, well, this is what people ought to be doing, when the, pa- when the professor has no idea what people can do and would do. So this, I thought that there was a lot of maturity in the different segments and keeping it consistent from one lesson to another uh, is what builds the formation. So I I think that was one of the secrets. But Becky, um, I'd like you to uh, reflect for a while uh, on your experience of, let's say, group studies and the materials that are available for people today, and what you think is uh, is needed most in churches. Uh, I know that's a a long comp- complex sentence, uh, but I wonder if uh, you could just talk about your experience of of leading and working with other people in small groups in the in the direction of discipleship.
2: That's a very broad (laughs) topic. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to talk about leadership development because that's really important in the work that I do. Um, Pastoral care. And then curriculum. Those are probably the three main points I would want to make.
1: There you go. Okay. That's what we're looking for.
2: I work very hard to develop my leaders. I look for people in my church who have a love for the Bible, who have the character of a follower of Jesus, who care about other people, and then I look for people who are excited to learn. And I I seek those people out, I pull them aside and I encourage them to try leading. Now we have an interesting dynamic that not a lot of churches are going to have because in a church of 200 people, we have on any given Sunday 35, 45 nations represented, and we've had over people from over a hundred nations represented in the nine years our church has been together. Uh, so we've got a lot of people who are not native English speakers. They come from wildly different cultures, very different religious or non-religious backgrounds, and we have very high turnover. We have a lot of expats and a lot of international students um, uh, or people who come from other nations who are married to Dutch people. So I know that I'm working with very different people. So, for example, guilt-innocence culture versus honor-shame culture and starting to understand those differences and then being prepared for the turnover. So I know that if I've got someone for one year, I'm going to train them and then I'm going to say goodbye to them. And it's hard, but it's amazing because then they go and they take what they've learned and they bless another church and another community with it. So training leaders who are going to go out Mm -hmm. is a huge part of what I do. Um, And keeping the peace between people is
0: a huge part. I I love that. And I think that's so essential that you guys have a, you actually see it as an advantage. I wonder if there's anything that you do in particular to celebrate that sending nature of the reality that people aren't going to be with you for a while, but as you develop a leader, is there anything you guys do specifically?
2: We do. We're a very casual and laid back church. And it's important to us to put people up front, a lot of people, to give them the experience to do public speaking and leadership and also that our people up front on a Sunday morning reflect the diversity of our church. Of course, this leads to awkward moments, but it also leads to beauty. So whenever anyone is leaving, every few Sundays, we'll just ask, is it anyone's last Sunday? We try to keep track of who's leaving when, and we just give them an open microphone to share what they've learned while being here, what the community has meant to them. And then people just come up to the front of the church and lay hands on them. And bless them and we commission them and we send them out, and that happens every few weeks at our church. So that's just a regular part of our rhythm. Um, we also lead in teams. I will have two or three people lead a small group together so that when one of them leaves, the other one or two are prepared to carry on. So our groups don't drop when someone has to leave. So those are two things we do to deal with that nature of our church.
1: Our church, Becky, is uh. Is ascending church too, and I think, I think, our pastor Jay Greener said something recently about the number of former uh, church members at Church of the Redeemer who are now pastors, and I think it's in the 40s. That's
2: exciting!
1: Um, wow, because we're near a seminary, it's it's not northern, so I won't mention its name <laughs> or give its initials other than saying it's Ted. <laughs> and uh we we have uh so we are ascending church too and now ours isn't as often as yours uh but it's not at all uncommon for us say in may june july august to send someone mm-hmm. off and we've we've been there like 7 years and uh we've sent a lot of people off and a lot of them come back one time we had an event of former um Former North, uh, Church of the Redeemer people who are now pastors. And we had like a, a pastor's conference just for former pe- uh, That's people. That's exciting. It was pretty cool.
2: That's very cool.
1: So, okay. So leaders, leaders yes.
2: Leaders, so leaders I train growth. them. So every year I have to do a whole new leaders training every September when we launch our new groups, because I have a whole new group of leaders every year. And I'm trying to get the returning leaders more involved in training the new leaders, because I want them to learn not only to lead a group, but to train other leaders. So, some of my leaders, I'm stepping up to that next level where they're training others now. So, I train the trainers, which is really exciting. So, we do a leader training every year, and then I have monthly leaders meetings before our church service once a month, where either I teach them, and that can be a theological topic, or Bible background, or how to teach uh, how to teach a Bible study. And for the past three months, I've had some of my leaders train the other leaders. So I would get together with them, talk about what they wanted to train on, help them prepare their training materials. Some of them have just done it on their own, and they've done an amazing job. And now I'm talking about having like a 19-year-old from Rwanda teaching 20 Bible study leaders what she's learned about building community in her small group. And she Mm -hmm. did, Rita did an amazing job. So I love seeing them Mm step up to that challenge. We had uh, one of our older Bible study leaders, he's from Belgium, and Luke just taught this past month on spiritual gifts and put together a whole spiritual gifts inventory and teaching so they could understand and use their gifts better. So we try to develop them as leaders. And then I also have a special class that meets with me and our lead pastor on Friday afternoons. And this is about eight students who show a real aptitude for preaching and teaching. And Pastor Matt and I are teaching them biblical interpretation and preaching And now they're starting to preach to the university students. I'm looking forward to having them preach on a Sunday morning in the future. And actually, we studied Blue Parakeet in the fall with them. So, Scott, when we did the Kingdom Roots episode um, on Blue Parakeet, that was my DRX class that we spoke with, and they got a chance to ask you some questions. So that's an exciting group of leaders to train as well. So leadership training is really important because your leaders set the tone for your group. Um, The other two things I could touch on briefly are pastoral care and then curriculum. Um, One of my passions is uh, emotional and spiritual health and mental health, um, and also being aware of trauma and abuse in churches. So I make sure that all of my leaders' training touches on those topics. So we talk about how to know, like how to hear when people are suicidal, like how to hear that in their conversation and how to do a suicide risk assessment and when you need to bring in emergency measures for people. We talk about dealing with mental illness. We talk about uh, responding to abuse and trauma. And then we talk about providing pastoral care to people because the small group leaders are going to hear people's real life struggles before any of the pastoral staff does. So there are many times yeah. I've gotten texts in the middle of the night from a small group leader saying, okay, here's the problem that's come up with my group member. How can we get them support and help? And we're glad to do that. We have a care team at our church that's trained in um, uh, supporting abuse victims and supporting people with their mental health. And so that care team will step in and get people the professional help they need. We don't do the counseling, but we make sure they get connected to the professional counseling they need. So pastoral care is something that I think gets missed a lot in small groups. Small group leaders aren't always trained to do it. And I do have one short appendix in the back of Following King Jesus, and I appreciate that John let me put this in, but it's how to facilitate a small group study guide. And I did put a section in on hospitality and pastoral care, because I think it's important for all small group leaders to be prepared for that, to really pastor the people in their groups. Um, did you have any questions on that? Or?
1: And Becky, I, I, this is interesting to me that um, that you think it is. Uh, not normal for, let's say, small group leaders to have a sense of pastoral care for the people in their group. I would have thought that that would be common, but is it more the case then that most uh, small group Bible studies or whatever small groups are more just um, a democracy of people getting together together? reading a book, reading a bi- passage in the Bible, and talking? Well,
2: I may have just offended hundreds of small group leaders all over the U.S. by saying that. And if I did, <laughs> I apologize to them. If they're saying, no, we do pastoral care, then I, I apologize. It's, it's simply been my experience that in any of the Bible studies I have participated in in my life. I've had some wonderful Bible study leaders, but I've not seen any who were trained to respond to mental illness or abuse properly. Um, so those particular okay, so
1: aspects. Another, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I know those are passions mm-hmm. for you. um so i I think that, that that element of pastoral care is absolutely critical for for small groups. and so i'm I'm glad to hear that you have that that as a focus and helping your leaders uh, become aware or sensitive enough to be able to spot some of these things, at least to ask the right questions at the right time. And I
2: think so, just being aware. Yeah, very good. No, go ahead, Chess. Miss-
0: well, this may be what you're saying, but I think a lot of the time it's not that there's not pastoral care going on. It's just that it's not been identified as such. Sure. And so to give language and description to the people is a really. Um, important thing to help them see what they're doing is actually being a shepherd. It's being a pastor, Mm -hmm. it's caring. Um, And and then the identification of some of the things that can be really helpful for them to do a better job and get the help help that their people need.
2: Right. And, you know, a couple of years.
1: But I do think, Becky, I think one of the things that happens is that it does become a democratic movement or a democratic event where everybody's just kind of sharing and then everybody goes home and not quite enough responsibility pastorally taken by some of the small group leaders to want to pastor some of the people or to think that that's actually what, what they're going to be doing in the event. So I'm, I'm glad that you have this
2: as a focus. Well, Scott, that's leadership how leadership functions in the church is something I feel like I've learned from you. You've said to our cohort that the spiritual leadership gift will identify itself and will identify itself very quickly. And you've shared how you've identified leaders in the different classes you've had. And so that's actually something I've taken to heart and that I look for, um, for the traits of those who are stepping out to be leaders yeah. and the traits of those who are stepping out to be pastors who have that clear gift. Those are the people I want leading the group. So those are the giftings um that I look for, and I think people can grow in those, even if people don't feel naturally gifted to them. I think they can learn how to function in them. Um,
1: you know, I often say that uh, that uh, you can tell pastor you can you can tell if you're a pastor if people see you as a pastor or if you identify the people you're pastoring. Um, there is a little bit of a tendency in seminaries to think that I'm going to go to a seminary and I'm going to be taught how to pastor, and then I'm going to get a job at a church where I will practice what I learned in seminary. And there's some truth to the fact that your gifts can be enhanced in seminaries, but pastoring is a gift, and it, it is not something that you say, well, I will uh, turn this on when I become a pastor. It is something that you are and something you do in every situation, so I I like to say I've been on numerous trips with students, seminary students, to Israel and to um, the uh, the areas around Greece and Turkey, and those who are pastors uh, are pastoring on mm-hmm. the buses and they're pastoring at breakfast, and mm-hmm. you can see it. You can see the ones who are pastoring and the ones who are you know, being seminary students, I'll put it that way. <laughs> and
2: I felt so, that there, you know, uh, I appreciate my classmates at Northern who pastor me. There have been my classmates who have reached out to me, let me know they're praying for me or been a listening ear to me. And so I think that we pastor each other. And that's something I really like about our cohort. Those gifts do become evident.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And this is the, uh, a great cohort of, uh, for me as a teacher, mm-hmm to watch those kinds of gifts on display. Okay, now we have time for the oh, third. Right. Yes, the
2: third curriculum. Curriculum. I, curriculum. I'm yes. not here to put down any other discipleship curriculum. I think there's a lot of wonderful stuff out there. And John Raymond and I talked about examples that we've seen of things that worked really well when we wrote this. Um, what I look for in a curriculum, having tried many different things, videos and books and topical studies and things, what we use on a regular basis at our church is a, an organization called Community Bible Study, and they're in the U.S. and in Europe and all over the world. And it's kind of, people are more familiar in the U.S., I think, with Bible Study Fellowship. So, um, But I've served with Community Bible Study, and it's book by book going through the whole Bible. So a group can choose the book they're studying. So our whole church for the past few years has gone through the same Bible study together, and often our sermon series have gone along with that. So... Um, We're just finishing up this year, the book of Acts. Our whole church student groups, younger people, and our multi-generational groups have all studied Acts. Um, I like the CBS material because it gets people studying the Bible itself, not topically, but verse by verse and getting them immersed in the story. And I like that it helps people learn to feed themselves spiritually. So any curriculum that teaches people to feed themselves spiritually is one that is going to get my stamp of approval. I certainly hope we've accomplished that with following King Jesus. I, thought, I think it's got a lot of good meat and a lot of good guides for people. Even if people aren't familiar with Bible study, I hope it walks them through it well to help them learn and get into that habit of, of doing Bible study on their own. Um, so really getting people into the Bible is a key for me. And one thing I like that we put in following King Jesus that I haven't seen in a lot of other curricula is a little bit of a creative element. So I tried to pull in music and art and video and journaling and creative writing and imagination. So for someone who just wants strict Bible study, they may want to skip those elements. But for those who are looking for a more creative element, I hope it gives them a different way of approaching their devotional time or their relationship with God. So like one of the prayer activities uh, has you put a coat on the ground at your feet and to picture yourself as um, at Stephen stoning uh, and the coat being a reminder of Paul holding, Saul holding the coats then at that stoning. And so there's this whole imagination exercise um, to get us living in the text and interacting with it in creative ways. And of course I love costumes, so anything that has to do with like living out Bible stories is a big fun thing for me. So those are some of the things I like in curricula, and I hope that I've done a good job of putting into following King Jesus.
1: Well, you have. You definitely have. Um, and I think that that element of surprise or variety and diversity and creativity is critical because I would be a one who would write something that would be the same every time. In fact, I've done this a couple of times And after doing it the second time, I remember saying to one of my editors, I don't want to do this again because I don't think I'm good enough at this. I don't have creative juices for this sort of thing. And then uh, I've seen you operate, Becky, in more than one way in classes and everything else. And you are a creative person. Uh, And uh, to finish off our session, I, I will tell everybody that when our class toured Ephesus, our our tour, Turkey and Greece, and then we went to Italy and Rome. Becky, I, I, because Becky had written a paper on this, I asked her if she would, would be Phoebe for the class and talk about the book of Romans as the letter reader and the letter courier for this. And Becky was already when we got to Corinth, and then we drove the bus over to Kankrea, which is where uh, Phoebe is from. And uh, you marched off that bus, <laughs> and you figured out the lay of the land and where you were going to be, and you stood. Okay, now your feet weren't. No, in the water. I was were up they- on the
2: foundations on the it ruins, was- out in the ocean.
1: <laughs> yes. Out in the out in the Mediterranean, and Becky was performing, uh, talking about Romans, uh, sitting in Cancrea and talking to Paul as Paul talked about what he wanted to send the letter, send in the letter to the uh, to the churches in Rome. So, I thought that's that was just pure <laughs> Becky, and you were dressed for the occasion um, in your uniform or whatever A you costume, call it, costume, yep. so that you could perform <laughs> that. And I think that that element. I mean, I know that people who went on that tour will never forget Becky as Phoebe in Cancrea, but I also know I won't forget it because it was impressionable and done well, uh, which is your uh, characteristic of your work. So um, I think creativity is really important and acting out stuff like that can really be helpful. It's fun. And
2: like I said, we just finished Acts with our ladies Bible study on Tuesday mornings. And this week I led them on a, a walk through the woods for an hour and a half. And we acted out the entire book of Acts. I had costumes and props and parts and scripts for them. And so we stoned Stephen and we stoned Paul and we, we shipwrecked, we turned a picnic table into a ship and shipwrecked it. And we, broke bread and put candles on our heads at Pentecost. And it was so funny, but it was really, it was a really fun. And I, I think they will never forget reviewing the book of Acts. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's good. Well, mm-hmm. Becky, I want to, I want to thank you for uh, taking time from your family and this evening. Uh, was it almost, almost going 10, PM 10 here. o'clock in Maastricht? Yeah. Almost 10 p.m. And uh thank you for especially, you know, for me that you wrote this wonderful Bible study for us. So uh I just want to know if you have anything more you'd like to say about the book. Uh Chaz will advertise it on the uh on the website and everything. So uh anything you want to well, say. Well, let's
2: hope that it goes into a second printing. Um so if anyone has feedback, honestly, I would love to hear it. I would love to hear from people who use this in their church or Sunday school. And let me know what worked and didn't work because I would really like to keep developing discipleship curricula from the church for the church. And so I really want to learn what works and what doesn't.
1: That's good. Good. good good finish.
0: Sweet. Well, thanks again for being with us, Becky. And I'm so excited for what this resource could provide for churches and discipleship and just the creative way that it invites people to do that. I know one of the things I've heard Scott say before is that discipleship and education with Jesus is not about information, but it's about emulation. And I think this is a great resource to very practically emulate the life that Jesus has lived and invites us to live as well as his followers. So um, Zondervan has actually offered a free sample of the first chapter of this. So I'm going to include a link in the show notes for you to be able to access that. So you can um, take a look at it and encourage you to, to get it as well on um, Amazon or wherever you get your books. And I did a fair amount of recording on this trip that Becky and Scott have been talking about, and I'm going to see if I can find her little speech as, um, as Phoebe and, and see if we can maybe get that out there as well. But if not, you'll know I just wasn't able to find it. But we appreciate everyone joining us today and um, being a part of our conversations, and we look forward to being with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now.